Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 122 and I'm talking with Teal Burrell. Teal is a returning guest to the show. She was episode 58 last April, 2017. And when we last talked, she was days away from giving birth to her first daughter. Since then, she has had a baby girl and she's run two marathons. And most recently, 14 months postpartum, she ran an Olympic trials qualifier. Now, some of you may remember her from the first episode that she was on, but let me just give you a brief rundown. Teal started out as a four-hour marathoner and has worked her way down to a 2.42 PR. She ran in the Olympic trials for the marathon in 2016 and has had some big goals since having her daughter last year and just had a phenomenal race at the Pittsburgh Marathon just about three or four weeks ago, actually. She ran a 2.44, qualifying her for the trials once again, so she will be back at the 2020 trials and... In this episode, I get to talk to Teal about postpartum training and what that looked like and what her goals are for the future. And Teal has just been one of those guests that people have really been motivated by. She set really big goals for herself really early on. I mean, she set the goal to qualify for the Olympic trials when her marathon PR was like 318. So I think everybody has been super inspired by her journey and how she's gotten to where she is. And the fact that, you know what, not all of her marathons have been perfect, but that didn't stop her from getting back up and trying again and working towards those goals. Make sure you read her race recap too from Pittsburgh. It's pretty good. Uh, Miles to the Trials is her blog. You guys can find Teal on social media on Instagram. She is Runner Teal. You guys can also find me over on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hine 626 All right, guys, if you're loving the show, I would appreciate a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. So that would be amazing if you could support the show in that way. And if you're loving the show, I would love it if you would just share it with your people. Grab a screenshot, throw it up on your Instagram stories, whatever. Make sure you tag me so I can see it and uh, help me get the word out. That'd be amazing. You guys, I appreciate you being here this week as always. And I really, really hope you enjoy this conversation with Teal. So how are you? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me on again. I'm such a fan of your show. So it's, it's an honor to be back. Well, we'll jump right into it. I think that your episode is one of like I don't know. It's one of those episodes that people still talk about a lot, you know, like some of them come and go and some of them make a really big impact and people, people still talk about it a lot and bring it up a lot. So I just was like, after you ran that 244, I was like, my friend Ashley said, you have to have Teal back on the show. You know that, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That, I mean, that's just like, uh, that makes me feel so like amazing that people like enjoyed the episode so much and like really like my story because Uh, I think, like I said in the first time, like, that's the reason I write the blog. That's the reason I feel like I overshare on Instagram, like just to try to, you know, inspire people and, and hopefully, you know, through your first episode and and through my story, that's, that's working a little bit. So I'm, I'm so glad that people um, really enjoyed it. Okay. So last time we talked, you were like days away from giving birth. I mean, (laughs) were you, were you a week before? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I don't remember exactly when we talked, but I think it was before my due date and she was like four or five days late. So it was probably about a week. Yeah. 
Oh, the late baby. I've had one of those. It's like, yeah. when is this thing going to happen? Exactly. And I think I had like periods of like not thinking it was going to happen at all. Like, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's not coming. And it's like, well, wait a minute now. You're fully nine months pregnant. Like she's coming any day. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. She, Maybe not. <laughs> she has to get out of there somehow. I was just actually reading someone's blog about this and how she went through a phase where she was just like, actually was thinking, I don't think this is ever going to happen. And then when I was actually in labor, I was thinking, I don't think baby's actually ever going to come out. And my doula was like, well, it has to happen one way or the other. Yep. <laughs> I forget. Did you go pain? Did you go med free or did you do an epidural? No, no. Um, I did an epidural and then actually, uh, eventually she had to, we, I had to have a C-section. I had a, a long labor and I pushed for a very long time. Um, but her head was just, just not coming out. So <laughs> we had to do the C-section. Just every time you, any, anytime you go into childbirth, it's, you just never know. Like there's know. no, you can't plan for anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so Teal was episode 58, everybody. And let's just, we're going to talk about your post baby comeback and your recent race at the P- Pittsburgh Marathon. But let's give everybody just like a brief rundown in case they haven't listened to episode 58. And if you haven't, guys, go back and listen. Um, I can't guarantee that my audio is great or anything like that, but the story is really great. <laughs> so, um, Teal, can you kind of just give us a quick intro to yourself and your running journey? Sure. Um, so I basically ran my first marathon, um, when I was in college, I ran in high school, um, like cross country and track. Um, I didn't run collegiately, um, and I kind of missed it. So I did my first marathon while I was in college. I was a sophomore just as like a big goal to do. Um, and I ran a four Oh seven, um, and then kind of like stopped running for a while. And then after college, got back into it, wanted to, um, try to see if I could qualify for Boston. Um, so I ran my second marathon. I actually qualified like easier than I thought I would. I thought that was going to be like a goal that took a couple years and then ran Boston and then decided I needed a, I needed a goal that was going to take a couple years, a couple marathons to, to, um, to chase down. Um, and I really, you know, I was really loving, like, you know, setting big goals and like running marathons and just wanted to keep doing it. So eventually I came up with this goal of running in the Olympic trials, which, um, was kind of crazy at the time. I think my PR was like a 318 and qualifying for the Olympic trials is at this point a 245. So, um, it was going to take a long time. Um, but I just sort of set that as my goal and very gradually, you know, chipped away the time. Um, and it took a lot more marathons. Um, but eventually I got to the point where I qualified for the 2016 trials, uh, with a 242. And so that's, a very brief <laughs> um, <laughs> synopsis of kind of my journey there, but basically, you know, tried to really um, set a big goal and then work uh, very gradually at getting to it. Um, and I think it took, I think the, t- by the time I qualified, it was maybe like my 12th marathon or something. So it took a lot of work and a lot of marathons in between, but I just really chipped away at that time. And um, so my big story is just to kind of have these big goals and go after them and, um, and, and, uh, not be intimidated when they maybe seem a little crazy at first, because I was able to, to go all the way from 407 to, to 242. Yeah. And I talked about this in my hundredth episode, uh, some, one of my friends, Maggie, she interviewed me and, uh, she kind of asked me what some of my favorite episodes were and your episode came to mind. And one thing that I've, that's stuck with me is that on your journey to get to the 242, it's not like you were like, 
318, 310, 301, 255, 252, 245. I mean, you had some races in there that like weren't great races, but then you came back and you went for it again. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, it's this like pretty perfect little resume where you just knock it down. But like, no, you had some hurdles. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember at one point I, I had kept PRing like, and I had like run a 407, then a 328, then a 318, then like a 318 that was like a PR by 20 seconds. And I, and I had got this streak of like, just every time I ran a, mar- a marathon, I PR'd. And then one day I like had a terrible marathon and I ruined it. And I was so upset. I was like, oh man, I had this like crazy, like awesome story to tell where I, I PR'd every time. Like, that's great. And it's like, that's just not reality. Like eventually you're going to have a bad race. Um, but like you said, I did, um, you know, I, I had a couple of bad races where, uh, actually right before the, uh, before the trials, uh, or excuse me, before the time I qualified for the trials, I, to, to qualify, I had to take 10 minutes off my time and the marathon right before that, I had been sure that I was going to like, I think my PR at the time was a two, uh, 52 and a couple of marathons before that I had been sure I was going to break 250, like so sure I was going to break 250 and I kept not doing it. And I kept you know, failing and not PRing or, or anything, even though I thought that I was in good enough shape. And so then it, it, you know, I, I felt again, like I was in good enough shape. I was going to go after this trial standard and I ended up setting a a 10 minute PR, which at the time was like, you know, that's a big PR at at that point in my running career. Um, and I think that one of the things that like helped me go after that was like, I had had a, a bunch of failures. So I was sort of like, mad and like I know that I'm better than than it looks like you know according mm-hmm. to my PR and so like that was an extra motivation um to really go after it and and prove myself to you know just to myself that I could do it and that I was better than you know my recent races had showed so I think sometimes you know we think oh we didn't you know get the time we wanted we didn't get a PR um you know it was a bad weather day it was you know your stomach was upset like whatever many excuses you can have on marathon day and um you know those feel like a failure but you can you can turn that into motivation for the next race and um i think i have a couple of instances where i did that uh successfully yeah and and one of the things that has rang like consistently in my ear since our episode and just from talking to so many people on this show is and you know Hello, everybody who just ran Boston and maybe didn't have a great day because the weather was terrible. Mm -hmm. Like your training cycles did not go to waste. Right. Exactly. Those workouts were meaningful, whether your race worked out the way you wanted it to or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a, that's a big fact, a big thing that you have to keep in mind and that I had to remind myself, um, when I had those bad races, when I was trying to go after 250 and I, and I thought I was in shape, but you know, I didn't deliver on race day was, you know, you go into the next training cycle and even if you don't have that time that you're going after to like look to, you know, you have a whole season where you trained and you probably, you know, did a lot of workouts where you were faster than ever before. You hit times that you hadn't before. And so like that, those workouts are still in your legs, still in your mind. Like you can still build from there. And just because you had a bad day on, you know, the day that it sort of all mattered doesn't mean that, um, that you haven't progressed in that whole season. And so you, you go into the next season and you start, you know, stronger and faster than you were, you know, the season before, uh, six months before, like, even if you didn't have that, that race day to show it, you still are stronger and you have to just, you know, it can be hard to, to trust that, but you have to kind of trust that. So your, your baby girl, she just turned one a couple months ago, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's about 14 months now. 
Okay, so you ran Richmond in the fall when you were eight months mm-hmm. postpartum as like a baseline mm-hmm. kind of marathon. Like, let's see where I'm at. Um, yeah. Did you run like a 255 or something? I ran a 250. Okay. Oh, 250. No big deal. (laughs) Eight months postpartum. Okay. So you ran a 250. And then at 14 months postpartum, you did this Pittsburgh marathon where you did the 244. Now, that's that's a healthy amount of time in between the eight months and the 14 months postpartum. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like your body was just like a world away from where it was at eight months compared to four, 14 months postpartum? Yes, for sure. And I think, um, I think probably about, uh, in like maybe January, or February, so maybe like 10 or 11 months postpartum, that's when things sort of like, I felt more like, uh, you know, my old self, whereas, uh, in the fall and like eight months postpartum, I was just trying to like, you know, build up the miles again. And I didn't, um, like I said, I, I wasn't like going after PR or anything. So my miles, my mileage wasn't as high as it usually is for that marathon or anything. I was just trying to, just trying to get my feet wet, like I said. Um, and so I wasn't doing like everything that I, I would, you know, for a, for a big, uh, uh, kind of harder effort, um, bigger attempt at a goal. So I think in the spring, like I started being able to do the strength and the core work and, and hit some paces that I had in a while. And it really sort of, started to click in like January, February, like things sort of came together and I felt like more like my old self and more like, okay, now I'm, now I'm like coming back. Like, you know, I I still wasn't quite there, but I could feel a palpable difference as opposed to the fall. So let's walk back from the start though, because you had, you mentioned you had a Mm C-section and then I always say this word wrong. Diastasis. (laughs) How do you say it? Um, I don't know either. <laughs> um, and I kept saying to my doctor and she like wouldn't correct me. I think it's um, diastasis. Okay. Recti, but you know, I could be saying it wrong. <laughs> as well. I, this is a reoccurring thing on this podcast where I like call myself out for not how, saying, knowing how to say words right. But even if I practice it, I'm like still like, uh, somebody's going to say, Hey, you said that wrong. So <laughs> diastasis I don't know we could call it DR if you want DR okay I think a lot of people that have had babies have probably heard of this or that have Mm -hmm. not had babies but you've mentioned that you dealt with DR diastasis Mm -hmm. recti uh postpartum so can you clue everybody in on exactly what that is and what your struggles were yeah so basically um what it is is that your abs separate uh you know when you're have a baby when the baby's growing and then um, once you have the baby, they don't completely come back together all the way um, like they should. And no one ever thinks about this unless you have it. But basically, um, you can, uh, if your abs are separated and they haven't come back together, you can stick um, more than two fingers with in between them, like at around your belly button. And you can actually feel the sides of your abs um, being further apart. And so, like I said, like if, if you don't have this, if you never dealt with this, you would like, this is so weird. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but if you have it, it's, it's very obvious that there is like space between your ab muscles that is um, a couple finger finger widths wide. Um, and so it's, it's a problem for running um, because, you know, your core is so important to running. And, um, you, it basically doesn't function properly if those abs aren't, aren't, um, in the right spot. And so, um, you know, you can be at elevated risk for injury and things like that. And postpartum is always, you know, is definitely a time for, um, higher injury risk. Um, and this is one of the reasons. So this was a big issue for me coming back, 
uh, and I kind of like, I knew that it could be an issue. And so I was kind of on top of it a little bit and like trying to like make sure that, you know, and getting tested and everything. Um, I had written about it before, uh, for an article for runner's world. So I, um, so I checked myself and realized like, Oh, like I might have a problem here and went to the PT and, um, and then it was, um, for lack of a better phrase, it was a giant pain in the ass, um, Mm -hmm. in that, I had to wear this splint that is supposed to like, like basically like pull your muscles together. I had to do all these exercises all the time. Like I was supposed to be doing three sets of exercises like um, every day and each set took like half an hour. And this is like, you know, I don't know, I was like four or five months postpartum. So I'm like totally busy with a baby and like everything else. And I was like, I don't have time to be doing these exercises. And the splint was like awful and super uncomfortable. And it was the middle of summer and you're supposed to wear like a shirt under it. And then you've got this splint that's like pulling your abs together. And then, you know, you got to wear a shirt over that because who wants to see the splint? So then it was like so hot and I just, <laughs> it's like awful. And, um, at some point I, um, you know, my doctor was like, okay, it's, you know, your abs are coming back together. You're doing well. Like in another, like two weeks, you know, you hit the exercises really hard. Like they will come together. We'll be good. And so I was like, okay, like two more weeks, I could do this, I could do this. And then like, they didn't come together. And then it was another two weeks and they didn't come together. And I was getting so frustrated because it was, it was so much time. And I doing the exercises and also like the splint was, was really driving me crazy. So at one point my doctor was like, you know what, I, I was breastfeeding and um, she was like, you know what, they're probably not going to come, you know, we're clearly at a standstill. They're not going to come together until you stop nursing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to nurse for a while. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to stop nursing just for this. So like you're saying, they're not going to come back together. And she was like, yeah, not for a while. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'm not doing the exercise. I'm not wearing the <laughs> Like, it's not worth it. And um, I had a little bit of a, a meltdown in the doctor's office that day. But after that, I was like, you know what? It's just like, it's it's not worth it. Um, I was driving I was driving myself crazy with it. And um, and I think that was a lesson that um, it's, I don't want to, like, give people the impression, like, oh, you should, like, not do your physical therapy exercises and you should, like, not listen to your doctor or whatever. But I think it was just, like, I had to step back for a moment and be like, this is not worth it. Like I, you know, this is really draining my energy and my time and driving me crazy. And I have to just give myself a little bit of grace that like my abs are not going to come together. Uh, You know, my core is not going to work as it should a hundred percent for a while. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to deal with it as it is. I can't keep doing this. So I basically stopped wearing the splint and doing my exercises. And for all the fall, I couldn't, you know, do all the core exercises that I would normally do. I couldn't do all the strength training that I would normally do. And I was just like, that's okay. Like sometimes you just need to give yourself a little bit of grace and, and just like your body will come back eventually. And, and that's, that's what happened mostly. (laughs) So why was it, why was breastfeeding keeping it from, uh, coming back together? Like what was it a hormone level or something? Yeah. It's the hormones that basically they just, um, sort of, keep everything a little bit looser. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there was something to that. Um, and I did notice that, um, as I slowly, um, you know, she started eating more food and I sort of, or solid food and I sort of slowly weaned her a little bit. I did notice that they came back together mostly. Um, I'm still at this point, still just weaning her off completely. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks, they'll be all the way back together. But at this point they're, they're almost there. And I could definitely tell, like I said, in this, this late winter and spring that, um, you know, my, my body was working better. My core is working better. Um, and so I think it was just a matter of, of kind of nursing a little bit less and, and I could tell that things, 
things were getting right, even though I didn't do my exercises. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is this something, and I might just hear about it more from runners because I I, like read up on runners more, but like, is this something that happens more to, uh, people that are more fit who have more ab definition? I mean, I, I'm the kind of person that does not have ab definition ever in my life. Um, I've never struggled with, with this issue with any of my pregnancies, but, um, does that factor in at all? Like if you're super fit? I don't think so. Okay. Um, because even if you don't have defined abs, like, you know, you still have those muscles, um, and they should still be, you know, at the center, you know, of your stomach. But, um, I don't think so. I think runners just notice it more because Mm -hmm. they're more cognizant of their core and how it's working and they've probably heard about it. And so they're like, let me check this. Whereas I think some other women, um, like when I posted my blog about it, you know, some people are like, Oh, I think, you know, I had this, but I didn't know because I, you know, I wasn't running and what do I care? You know, like if you're not, if you're not really using that part of your body so much, like, um, you know, it, it might not really matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Probably a doctor would argue with me like, yes, it absolutely <laughs> matters. You should get it fixed. But you know, you're not as aware of it. So it's, it's not, you know, causing you to run slower. If you're not a runner, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't mind. Yeah. That makes sense. You're not like trying to go ramp up your training and like risking injury as much if you're just walking and doing things like that. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So you eight months postpartum, we talked about, you did the two, did you surprise yourself when you did the 250? I mean, was that faster than you thought you were capable of? Cause that's, I mean, that's still really fast. Yes and no. I, um, so yeah, that was actually my second fastest marathon at the time, which is kind of crazy. But again, like I, I had this like 250, like I call it my white whale where I like <laughs> had a bunch of races where I thought that I was in shape, better shape than 250 and just never had the evidence uh-huh. to prove it. Um, and so like that is my second fat or it was my second fastest time. Um, but like it didn't, it didn't feel like it should be, um, because I definitely had been in better shape at other times, but, um, I didn't, I had done some workouts that had pointed to 250. Like I had done a, like 12 miles at that pace and had felt pretty good about it. And so I thought like it might be possible. Um, and I actually really wanted to break 250 as always. (laughs) Well, and I missed it by uh, 20 seconds, I think. And so I was kind of bummed about that. Like I got so close. Um, but once again, missed it. But then on the other hand, um, I was like, you know, when I took a step back, I was like, okay, that was, that was pretty good. Like eight months postpartum on a training that was not, you know, not that great. Like I wasn't doing as many workouts or hitting the mileage that I was used to, like to run my second fastest time on that kind of training. I was like, all right, that that's pretty good. Like I, you know, I, I have to be happy about this. And still breastfeeding. Yes. (laughs) Um, how many miles did you peak out when you were doing that? That's a good question. Um, I'm not actually sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So how, how has, I mean, you knew going into your training and you knew going into having a baby that things would change and life would change. And I don't know so much perspective, but definitely responsibilities and where your attention is. Mm -hmm. Um, how did that affect your training once baby came into the picture? I think, in terms of responsibilities and, and, um, you know, having her, a lot of people talk about like mom guilt and feeling bad when they go out on a run. Um, and I honestly, I didn't really have that. <laughs> I'm, uh, at this point I'm a stay at home mom. I, uh, still work. I'm a freelance writer. I, I work part time, um, at this point, but I'm with her all day long. And so I'm like, 
yeah, I need to go for a run. Like I need my, <laughs> I need my alone time. Um, and so like that, that wasn't really, um, too much of an issue for me. Um, I guess maybe this is relevant or answers your question a, a little bit in like this last marathon I ran and, and maybe to some extent in the November one, I don't remember, you know, just having a baby and having someone else that you want to, um, do well for, uh, is a big motivator. And I think like, you know, before this last marathon, I was sort of writing down all these things that like, um, you know, I might use as motivation, like when it got tough and, um, I had this long list and it's funny because I like, like write down all of these things that I think, oh, this is going to motivate me. And then like, you know, I, I forget 95% of them on, <laughs> on the race day. And it's funny which ones stick out, but I had written down like just all these quotes about like how, you know, um, for our daughters, like, you know, we want to be strong women that they can look up to. And I was just thinking like, if, if, you know, she's not going to remember this race at all, but we'll tell her about it. And I was just thinking like, I want this to be a story that she can remember and, and think like, you know, when the going gets tough, you know, you, you stick it out and you try hard and, and just to be a good role model for her. And I think that that, um, that is an added motivation ever since having her that, you know, I didn't, maybe didn't think about beforehand that how much that would, um, motivate me. Yeah. I remember my first, uh, postpartum, well, I guess it was my third postpartum marathon, but the the first one that I like trained hard for and ran a faster time. And I remember being, we traveled and we left my son, my oldest son with my mom. And I remember thinking, I really want to make this worth it. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) I left him for like four days or whatever with my mom. And I went out and I trained on Saturday mornings and I worked really hard. And I also like you, I don't struggle with the mom guilt going for runs. Like Mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, thank God. And running actually um, became much more enjoyable for me once I became a mom because it became a really good outlet for me to expend that energy and that like uh, just stress relief, you know, from taking care of someone Mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking when it got hard in the last 10K of that race thinking, let's make this worth it. Like don't give up now because you spent all this time away from your kid and you, you left him with your mom and that's fine. You don't need to feel guilty about that, but like, let's make it worth it. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's one way my perspective changed. Now you say you're a stay at home mom and you do you, so you freelance part time. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of in the same gig as you now. I, I do have a babysitter twice a week, so I'm home with my kids full time three days a week, but there's a difference, I mean, in your lifestyle when you are also doing work at home too. And mm-hmm. and it's not one way better than the other or anything like that, but just like your your focus is a little bit different. Um, so how many hours a week are you working and how do you manage that? Are you doing it when your husband gets home or are you doing it at nap time? Because once they're mobile, it's a heck of a lot harder to work. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I it kind of comes and goes. So it's, uh, freelance writing. So at this point I sort of just take assignments as they come to me when I was doing it full time. I was also like actively like pitching stories to different places and like always working on like trying to get new stories. And now I'm kind of like not expending that much energy on that part and just like letting, you know, people come to me with stories. And, and so it's very, it varies a lot. Like sometimes I have like a couple, a couple deadlines and sometimes I'm like, like at the moment I don't actually have that much on my plate. Um, and so every week is kind of different. Um, but basically I'm just doing it during nap time, um, and in the evenings. And then when I do have a bunch of deadlines then on the weekends as well. And so, you know, my husband usually 
takes over on the weekends and, and will let me work then. And, um, it's just kind of like whenever I can fit it in. Um, cause for sure when she's awake, you know, there's no hope of getting anything done. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny because I look back and I'm like, I, I feel like now with so many kids, I'm like, oh, I realized I had more time than I thought when my one baby wasn't, you know, mobile yet, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, once they start crawling and walking, it's just kind of like, well, I mean, if if, you, if you're not paying attention all the time, they're going to get hurt or into something. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, it's not like Russell right now, my youngest, he's, I don't know, I don't know 19, 20 months, something like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, there. It's impossible. Like you, yeah. you can do nothing. Um, yeah. But do you also like? I'm really big on. I spend a good amount of nap time working. So when my youngest is napping and my middle one, he's three and a half now. So he actually plays pretty independently sometimes. So like I can get work done um, mm-hmm. during that nap time. But I also find it important to sometimes during nap time not work and just yes. relax or clean up or do laundry or something. Yeah, for sure. And I, um, yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Sometimes I like when I have these deadlines, it's like, I too bad, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I have yeah. to just be working. Um, but a lot of times like I do try to have, she still naps twice a day and I do try to like have one of the nap times just be like, let me just try to like have a moment to like collect myself. Um, <laughs> And, and cause otherwise it's just so exhausting at the end of the day. Like if I don't just like have a moment to sit down and like not work or think or whatever, like if I could like eat a meal in peace, like that's amazing. Like, let me just take that moment and, um, you know, have a minute to relax. Cause she's, um, and she's always been this way, like crawling or walking, whatever. She does not sit in one spot Mm. for more than three seconds. And so it's just constant movement, 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 movement. And then like nap time comes and I'm like, let me just like, like I just need a minute. Um, so for sure I try as much as possible to have some time to just, um, kind of collect myself and like, yeah, maybe like clean up a little bit, but really just try to like sit and and have a moment of peace. Cause otherwise I'm just like totally exhausted. Yes. You would not even believe the pile of laundry I have sitting in my laundry (laughs) room right now. Like I just looked at it yesterday. I was home with the kids all day and Today I'm gone for like six hours and I just looked at it last night and this morning and I was like, nope, like yeah. not yeah. happening because, <laughs> you know, last night I was prepping for this interview and I have one later and then um, I was just like, you know, my husband was watching TV and I was kind of like, man, I kind of want to just watch TV too, but I can't <laughs> right now. But one yeah. thing I'm definitely not going to do is spend time folding laundry and doing no, housework. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey everybody, real quick, I want to jump in and thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is Casper Mattress. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. Designed by humans for humans, Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing support, comfort for all kinds of bodies. You spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. With a breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night, and over 20,000 reviews in an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Casper has affordable prices because they cut out the middleman and sell directly to you. Delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that size, 
box. Free shipping and returns in US and Canada. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial. So you guys can get $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash have another and using the promo code have another at checkout terms and conditions apply. That's $50 toward a select mattress by visiting casper.com slash have another and using the promo code have another at checkout terms and conditions apply. All right, you guys, let's go ahead and enjoy the rest of my conversation with Teal. Back to Pittsburgh, because I know people want to hear about this race. You ran a 2.44, and I read your uh, post-race recap and your pre-race, kind of like when you talked about your training and stuff. So Mm -hmm. baby's 14 months when you do the race, about, right? 14 months? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, 13 and a half. We want to get like technicals two weeks ago, I guess. (laughs) I do feel like that's a really sweet spot postpartum, like... You hit a year, like you said, 10, 11 months, and you're really starting to, like, feel like yourself again. Mm-hmm. And so 14 months is, I, is a healthy goal as far as, mm-hmm. like, when your goal race should be. As You know, everybody's different, but it, it makes right. sense to me. So 6.15 pace. You, yeah. You talked about this a lot. Like, you're kind of a, a, a watch person. You're looking at your watch a lot. Yeah, for sure. So talk to us about that and just like your thoughts in your head as you're going mile by mile thinking, oh, that was a 617. That was a 612. And then that 548 you ran at like mile 22 or something. That was downhill. Um, Yeah. So I was trying not to be this watch person that I am, but it's very hard. Um, I'm always looking at my watch and I knew like I qualified before with a with a pacer and like a whole group of women. So I was like. I don't know how I'm going to do this if I'm by myself because with the pacer, I was just like, all right, you know, you go. And like, I won't have to overanalyze every single mile and every single second. And this race at Pittsburgh, you know, I did. <laughs> and I was like, well, really trying, actively trying not to like worry too much about every second. But when you're running by yourself and you know, you have this time goal, um, and you know exactly, it's like 617 actually, if we want to be uber precise, you know exactly what time you have to, to hit. It's it's very hard for me at least not to overanalyze every single second. So I was, I was actively trying not to, especially for the first 10 miles. I was like, let me just like get around 615. That part was flatter. So I was like, let me just try to do 615. And I was trying like actively being like, okay, that was a little slow. Fine, that's fine. That's a little fast. That's fine. Like trying not to like play this game where I'm like, adding up seconds and subtracting seconds. And I know exactly where I am. I was trying not to do that until later in the race. Um, and I knew Pittsburgh has this giant hill at mile 12. And I knew that that was going to like take like 30 seconds or something like, like that split was going to be way over. Um, so I knew, and then you don't get that downhill again until mile 23. And so basically that's like, to me, that was what made this course so hard was like, you go up a hill at mile 12, you're over because you probably lost some time in that mile and you don't get it back until the very end. Mm. So from mile 12 to 23, you're kind of like, Oh my God, I'm overpaced. I'm overpaced. I'm overpaced. But like, you know, you can't freak out about it because you're so far from the finish. Um, so again, in those miles, I was just trying to like, say, you know, like kind of put a pin in the fact that I was probably 30 seconds over and then just get back to like trying to run six seventeen, trying to run six seventeen. Oh, that's slow. Oh, that's fast. It was rolling a lot. So I was just trying to, not freak out about it. And I told myself beforehand, like if I get to 20 miles, like 30 seconds over, like that's okay because I still have the downhill to come. And basically I told myself that really because 
I knew that I was not going to get to 20 miles exactly on pace. And I didn't want to like freak out about it and be like, Oh my God, I'm 30 seconds over. Like I'm failing. I can't do it. And then just completely like blow up. So I had told myself ahead of time, like 30 seconds, even more than 30 seconds would be okay. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I got to 20 miles and it was exactly 30 seconds over. And I was like, okay, like, it's fine. I throw the downhill, like, don't freak out. Um, but at that point I was like actively thinking like every second, like, um, you know, I think another mile in there was a little slower at that point. I needed to run like six tens basically to the finish to get, to get, uh, 245. And I think I ran like a six fifteen, and then a six seventeen. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and started to freak out a little bit. Um, because I was looking at my watch all the time. And then I hit the downhill and that was the 548. And it was like... Saved your butt. <laughs> it did. And I knew it was going to. And I, um, I mean, I didn't know it was going, I was going to save my butt, but I knew like <laughs> that was coming and I just had to trust that it was going to be a fast split. And so at the end of that, I was like basically right on. And I was like, oh, okay, like I could do it. And, and the couple of miles before that, you know, I had really been having this fight in my mind, like, you know, you're just not going to do it. Like you're going to miss it by 10 seconds. You're going to miss it by five seconds. Like for some reason I had it in my head that like, even like way before the race started, like I had it in my head, like not that I was going to miss this goal by two minutes or 10 minutes. Like I knew I was either going to make it or I was going to miss it by like five seconds. Mm. Somehow I just knew that. And so like in my mind, I, you know, at mile 22 before the hill, the downhill, I was like, battling like, okay, I'm, I'm going to miss it by five seconds and I'm just going to have to get over that. Like, that's totally going to suck, but I'm just going to have to like, not be a brat about it because I had a tendency <laughs> to be a brat at the end of these races. And, and, and the whole weekend was kind of like a mess. Cause my, we had made it, we had drove all the way to Pittsburgh. My daughter was sick. Um, my husband was like, you know, trying to like take care of her, like take more responsibility. Cause you know, I was running this marathon. It was like, everybody was cranky and tired. No one was sleeping. And I was just like, this is the worst weekend ever. And I'm going to miss <laughs> it by five seconds. And we're just going to be so mad. And we're gonna have to drive all the way back to Richmond and everyone's gonna be a bad mood. And I was just thinking like, this is horrible and I'm going to miss it. And then I was actively also trying to like have this battle with the other half of me being like, no, no, like, don't give up now. Like, don't give up now. And then the downhill came and it was like, see, like, you know, the angel on the one shoulder was like, see, like you're, you're back on, you can do it. You could do it. Like, don't give up. And then it was like back to like, as soon as the, the course flattened again, it just got like super hard again. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm running like 628 pace and I need to run 617 pace and I'm not doing it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And it was just like this constant battle between thinking like, and, and thinking I wasn't going to make it and like trying to accept that and the other part of me being like, no, like, do not give up now. You're at mile 24 in this race that, you know, like, you're so close. Don't give up. Um, and so I hit mile 25 dead on. Like, I, like, literally had not a second to spare. <laughs> and I um, was still, like, it was just, I was still running. Like, it was just so hard to tell myself that I could still make it. And I was still not really on pace. Um, I was like running a little bit slower. Cause again, I'm like looking at my watch every five seconds, like, and it's six twenty something. And I'm like, it needs to be six seventeen. It needs to be six seventeen, And it's not. And finally I got, I think I got, you know, I was just like praying out loud, like, God, give me, just help me run a little bit faster. Like just a little bit faster, please God. And I was like saying this out loud. Like I, you know, looked crazy, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I finally got to like within, I think I could just see the 26 mile marker. And I just like, finally, like this whole time I'd felt like there was more in me, but I didn't, like, I wasn't tapping. I'm like, I know there's more there. Like, God, help me get, I know there's more there. Like, please like help me use it. And finally, like I saw the mile 26 marker, I think, I, or I don't know exactly when it happened, but at some point I just started sprinting. Like 
out of my mind. I was just like sprinting crazy. My husband saw me at this point and was like, you, I've never seen you sprint like that. And you looked so scared. And I was like, I was terrified. Cause this whole time I was like, I'm going to miss it by five seconds. I'm going to miss it by a hair. And like, so then I just started sprinting and I was so scared. Like I was going to miss it. And it, I mean, I wish there had been like a video of me in this part. I did like end up buying the photos for marathon photo because I think that they're like hilarious. Oh yeah. Totally worth it. Um, so I was just sprinting like a mad woman, um, until I got the finish and made it by like, um, 24 seconds or something but even at the very so the course turns at mile like 26 basically after the after the mile marker it turns toward the finish finally you can see the finish and the clock and you know at that point I like couldn't make out the numbers on the clock and I was like what do they say like do they say 245 like did I already miss it do they say 244.50 because I'm I'm too far away if they say 244.50 I'm not gonna make it like I was like trying to like see the clock and sprint and it was just at some point I realized that they, you know, said 244.20 or something. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make it. But at that point I was like so close. It wasn't until then that I really knew um, I was going to do it. Like the whole last, you know, five miles of that race, I was like really a mental battle. <laughs> you were so precise and calculated though. I mean, I, and I don't run as fast as you, but I always give myself like a five minute window, even though I want to like PR, I give myself a window in that PR range. And I mean, mm-hmm. you had to be like, ex- so exact and calculated. How do you, I don't know. I mean, I just picture myself trying to run like seven fifteens even. And I'm like, I don't know. Some miles just are 10 seconds slower. I mean, you were right. so close. I know. And I don't recommend doing it the way <laughs> I did. Um, it was just like, I, I, like I said before, I just knew that I, was in shape to run a yeah. sub 245, but it was going to be close. Yeah. And I mean, for sure, you know, get in better shape than that. And then you have more of a cushion, but, um, yeah. I just knew that it was going to be close and, and for sure, like every marathon, um, you know, there are miles that are fast or slow and, and like this one, you know, I had some, some, uh, tens and some six twenties and some, you know, I think the, Actually, mile 20 was a 640. Oh, I loved um, how in your race report you were like, I'm glad I didn't realize that. Yes, and I didn't because I was so Because it would so kill busy. your mental game. It would have killed my mental game. I was so busy looking at the clock on the course that I didn't even like look at my watch, which was very great. Oh, yeah, because um, you had like at mile 20, you knew exactly what the clock needed to say. Yeah, so I had basically memorized the splits for 20 and 25 as like, and, and hadn't memorized the splits any earlier because I had told myself like, don't try not to worry about it until mile 20. And then you know, and then you're going to need to worry about it because then you're going to need to be like really trying to hammer it home. Um, so I, I memorized those two splits. And so at mile 20, I was only looking at the clock in the course and not on my watch. And so I didn't realize that I'd run a 640, which was, which was good. Thank but, the Lord. Um, yeah, thank you, God. But I, I, um, yeah, to get to your point, like I, there absolutely are miles that are slow or fast. And, um, even, you know, even when you're trying to be precise as I was trying to be in this race and you just have to sort of, Except that, especially like if you know where the hills are or whatever, like, okay, that was an uphill, like you're going to lose 20, 30 seconds or whatever, but you know, hopefully there's a downhill and you're going to gain it back. Like that 548, I gained, I gained everything that I had lost back. And so you just have to kind of like, um, you know, know that going in, even if you have a really precise time goal, like every, you know, you're not going to run every single mile at 617. Um, so I was, I was trying to at least, uh, not freak out about it for the first 10, 20 miles. And then at the end, 
you know, I, I kind of had to because <laughs> of because of the hole I'd gotten myself in. Yeah, I mean, and I see the actually I see the benefits in getting a little bit more precise because, I mean, say you have a five minute window, then you're giving your you're kind of giving yourself like a little bit more of like, OK, I can relax a little bit. I'm in my window. But if like you're saying that you did have a window, everybody has a window like I'm in shape this is what I'm capable of if nothing crazy goes on. But you were like pushing that window. Like you were like, I'm going to go for the very fastest part of that window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, something I was trying to tell myself before the race was that when I have these really precise time goals, like, um, like I want to, you know, qualify for the trials and get a 245, or like before the, uh, uh, to qualify for the 2016 trials when I had that time goal or when I wanted to break three, like when I have a very precise time goal that there isn't really this huge window, like, Oh, I want to break three hours or just PR, you know, it's like, yeah. no, I want to break three hours. Like those are the races that I really do well. Yeah. And I was trying to tell myself beforehand, like, okay, this is another time that I have this, you know, maybe crazy, but also like hopefully doable goal that is like very precise. And it's like basically like 2:45 or bust. Like, Either I'm going to run a 244.59 or I'm going to be upset. And so there's no, there wasn't any wiggle room. And I think, you know, everybody I'm sure is, is different. But for me, like having that, um, that precise of a, of a goal, like really helps me because, you know, at mile 22, when I'm, you know, arguing my, with myself, it's like, no, I, I have to get this because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be happy with a 245.30 or a 240.6 or whatever. Like it's, it's very precise. And um, I think that helps motivate me. Yeah, I could see some people being needing that window beforehand um, just to like not be so nervous pre-race. But then once Mm -hmm. you get in the race, you're there. I mean, you're yeah, it's happening. You're rocking, you're rolling, you're running. So being a little bit more precise and then you don't waste all that energy being insanely nervous beforehand. If you give yourself a little bit of a break and then dial it in, you know, on the actual race. But yeah. When you qualified for the 2016 trials, you ran the 242 and then they changed the standard. They like gave you a little bit more flex. So, um, so this time you only had to run and I know they changed it like after you ran the time too, like more people were able to get in, but, Mm -hmm. um, this time you just had to do sub 245, but what are your goals? I mean, do you not necessarily on trials day, but just, are you going to run any marathons in between? Do you want to break 242 before the trials, during the trials? What are your goals? Yeah, so um, I definitely want to break 242, um, get a PR. I'd like to break 240. I uh, am going to run, um, I would probably say, I'll probably run two marathons before the trials, okay. um, you know, God willing and no injuries and stuff. Um, I think I, I would like to go back to CIM. Uh, California International Marathon this December, which is where I qualified um, in 2014. It's a really fast course, and it's the um, the U.S. Championships this year. It was the U.S. Championships last year as well. Um, so I'd like to go back there and, and run a, a fast time, try to get back to you know PRing and everything. Uh, Pittsburgh is a hard course yeah. <laughs> to qualify on, and um, I just kind of did it because um, there weren't a lot of spring marathons that I um, – you know, we're too close to home or that I, you know, felt like would work in time wise for me. Um, and so I ended up doing Pittsburgh despite it being a hard course and telling myself that, you know, I had, 
I didn't have to PR. Like I, I had an extra two minutes, you know, compared to back in 2016. Um, and so I was telling myself like, okay, like this is a harder course. These are, you know, I have these hills, but I have two minutes to spare. Like, like maybe the hills will, you know, maybe the two minutes will somehow even out with the hills or whatever. So I was telling myself that if I just got back into shape, like I used to be, you know, I had those extra two minutes, which I obviously needed every second of them (laughs) on that course. But uh, yeah, so I'm hoping that, um, before the trials, I can uh, get back to a faster course and, and see what I'm capable of. Cause I don't know, you know, if I had run on a flat course, um, this spring, like, I don't know what, what it would have looked like. Yeah. That's so smart. That's going to give you so much confidence when you do get on a flat course. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered about that. I was like, man, why'd she run Pittsburgh? That's so, I know. It seems like such a hard course. Yes, <laughs> it was. And, and people kept like sort of asking me that. And, and when I was trying to, to think about like which race I wanted to do, like, um, I had a couple friends who were from Pittsburgh and had told me about Pittsburgh and, and I was kind of like, ugh, I don't know, guys, it sounds hard. <laughs> um, but then like, I don't know, I just, I kind of felt like God was calling me there and I didn't, um, you know, I didn't really have any other options. I tried to get into Boston actually. And, um, I, you know, I hadn't registered in September cause I didn't have a qualifying oh, sure. time, yeah. registration time. So I tried to like, you know, get in via the elite route and I, and I didn't, which makes total sense after I saw what, what the elite field was. <laughs> yeah, of course I didn't get into this, but you know, I, I, after Boston, um, I just, there aren't a lot of spring marathons that like I was too excited to do. So somehow I just, thought Pittsburgh made sense. And, and I, like I said, I kind of felt called there. So I, I went with it and it worked out. I mean, you can't regret it because you can't help that you didn't get in, but like after seeing Boston and like the underdogs coming in and like placing so high, are you like, damn, like that could have been me if I had a great day. Like, does that, Um, does that frustrate you at all? Because, um, at first when I saw the times I was kind of like, Oh wow. Like, but then no, learning more about the conditions and learning more about the athletes that did mm, um, mm-hmm. run that fast. Like, no, they're they're far beyond my capability, and and I just um, I'm so glad that I wasn't there. Honestly, <laughs> and my my dad said that as well. Like, um, we were talking about the Boston Marathon maybe the day after or something. He was like, "I am so glad you didn't run that race." Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, me too," because it you know it's it's so frustrating for everyone that did like yeah. put in so much work, and that was just an absolutely terrible day. And like, I mean, I, I've, I don't think I've ever run close to conditions. I mean, like that, you know, I run in some hot races, but that was just so awful. And, um, and I, you know, I had, I have some, I have a friend who, um, I think is totally capable of qualifying for the trials. I think she was in amazing shape and she would have done it, but you know, that, that she ran Boston in that course mm-hmm. on that day, mm-hmm. like it just, it didn't happen. And it's so frustrating. Um, and, and like I said, the athletes that ran, you know, 244, 245, like they're capable of so much more on another day. So like I knew looking at that, like I would not have, I would not have run anywhere near that. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I forget what Sarah Seller said, but I think she said, did she say on a really good day, she thought maybe she'd go like low two thirties or something. I yeah, think she I was think training for well, sub 240, but like that, if the stars align, yeah. like I could do a lower 230. Yeah, I think her goal was like, yeah, under 237, which is the A standard. So, I mean, yeah, she, she, if she gets on a better, better course on a better day, she's going to just crush it. So, yeah, yeah, I saw actually, she just signed with Ultra. I just saw that on 
I think Instagram oh, okay, this cool. morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that makes sense too. Because y- even though her PR going in, I think it, I think your PR is actually faster than hers uh, <laughs> going into the race. I feel like her PR was like two. I don't know what it was. I could be I wrong. I think it was only her second marathon. It was. Yeah. But <laughs> That's she so needs crazy. to get on the, have a better, better. You're day. like, I got, I got like 14 of these under my belt by now or 15 yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, do you stroll or run? I do. Um, not very often. Um, but yeah, there's a couple days where, um, my husband has gone from early, early in the morning to late at night. And, um, we, uh, it's like every other week, um, we, I stroll around on those days and only those days because <laughs> honestly, I do not like it. You don't <laughs> people no, And, and I feel bad. Like, uh. you know, people are like, Oh, it's so wonderful. I get to run with my daughter. Uh. Isn't it great? And I'm like, yeah, it would be great, but she, I don't know. Her limit is about four miles, I oh, would say. Oh, I think I saw you post something about that. And I, like, there are, it's it's a rare day that I'm only running four miles, right. you know? So, like, I have, so I try to get her to go, like, five or six, and inevitably that last mile or two, she's crying. And, you know, I, I have toys, and she's throwing them out of the stroller, yes. so I'm stopping to pick them up, and I'm singing songs while I'm running, and, I'm, <laughs> and it's just, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's not our best moments. Um, and it's weird because like we go, I, I go on a walk with her like almost every day. Um, and she, you know, doesn't mind that. And, and maybe it's that I don't, you know, she'll throw her toys out of the stroller and I don't mind stopping. You don't care. Yeah. You're walking. When I'm running, I'm like, Oh my God, I got to stop. I don't know. But it's, it's not my favorite. (laughs) Well, you know, I have, people always say to me like, how do you get your kids to stay in the stroller that this long? And cause we do pretty long stroller runs with all of our kids. Um, but I have to say, like, when people t- say that to me, I'm like, just so you know, like, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. Like, yeah. and there are stages where it's hard. Like, the age that your daughter is right now, um, especially for my first son, we went through a really hard patch where, you know, they're they're walking now and they want to get out and run yeah. and walk and play. And um, my second son was always easier. So it's like every kid is different. But, like... Yeah. um. Yeah. I mean, it's not always pretty. I mean, I I do think that we have kind of gotten a little bit lucky because our kids are pretty good. But I also think part of that is their nature. But part of it is also that from three months old, like, you know, I've been stroller running with them multiple days a week. Yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's hard sometimes. And and when they get older, they fight because you're in the double Mm. together. And yeah. And when you're home all day with them, you're like, I just I get it. You're like, I don't want to like mess with picking up your toys. I want to go for a run and enjoy some alone time. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's kind of like when you go for a run, you're like, you know, your mom brain can turn off and you don't have to worry about what she's doing at that moment. Is she happy? Is she upset? Is she bored? Is she, you know, did she poop? Did she whatever? And like, you know, when you have the stroller, like you're not able to do that. You're still fully like wearing your mom hat and, and having to think about all those things. And I really appreciate the time, like yeah, not to worry about what she's doing at this very second. So do you, so then do you run early or do you run when your husband gets off work on the yeah. days that you don't have to stroller run? Um, I run first thing in the morning. So, um, usually I would get up and, um, you know, get out the door before she wakes up and my husband, um, watches her in the morning and then, um, I come back and she's usually about ready to take her first nap. She takes her first nap at like eight thirty or nine in the morning. And, um, then I like shower and eat breakfast and everything. And then when she wakes up, you know, 
we're ready to have mother-daughter time. But um, yeah, basically my husband will watch her uh, while I run, uh, you know, early in the morning. Oh, that's nice. So he doesn't have to leave for work till about 8.30 or 9. He actually, yeah, he doesn't. He actually works from home. Oh, well. nice. Um, most days, like every other week, he goes into the office, um, which is in uh, Bethesda. So it's it's a ways away. So that's why he's gone all, oh, sure. all day those days. You Did you just read Dina's book? I saw you post something about that. Yes, it was so good. Did you finish it before or after Pittsburgh? I finished it before. Okay, um, so was that a good thing? Like, did that help you? Yeah, for sure. I, like, um, dog-eared a bunch of the pages and, like, wrote down a bunch of the quotes beforehand as, like, yes. trying to motivate me because it was, yeah, it was really, really well-written and really powerful and just really, like, um, I basically read it, like, during the taper, which I think is, like, uh-huh. a perfect time to read it because, you know, you're trying – you're you know, you have the time, you're not running so much anymore. And also like you're trying to fill yourself with this positivity and like telling yourself that you can do it. So, um, that was like, just really good. (laughs) Yeah. I, well, you know, I've had her on twice and now I'm, I think I'm like 35% done with the book and I'm kind of, Oh, it's okay. I'm kind of, sorry. I'm in a sound booth at at a co-working space and someone just walked, (laughs) tried to walk in. It was kind of terrifying. Um, but anyway, Oh, where, where was I going? Oh yeah. So I'm trying to savor it kind of, you know, like I'm 30% done, but mm-hmm. I'm also, even though I've interviewed her twice and researched her quite a bit, I still feel like I'm learning so much about her life. And I'm like, I want to yeah. have her on again for yeah. a third time, you know? Well, both of her episodes have been so good. So go for it. <laughs> well, she's just so, she's so easy to talk to. And it's almost cool because I, she probably did this. There was probably some, like, she was probably methodical about this for a reason, but like she was good at leaving things out that were going to, some things out that were going to be in the book, you know, Mm -hmm. so that we weren't all like, yeah, yeah, I've already heard this on all your interviews, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I thought it was like, um, I loved both of your episodes with her because the first one, like I, I took things, different things away from both of them. So like you say, like she always kind of has some new thing to add, like yeah. in the book as well. So like the first one, I definitely like to define yourself. Uh-huh. I took that away. And then the second one she was talking about, like, uh, basically coming up with like, you know, the reasons you could do it like the night before or whatever, yes. like coming up with like three reasons that you know you could do it. And like, that was really powerful as well. So it's like every time she like has another little nugget of wisdom in there yes. and then the book as well, like there's so much more. So yeah, she's, it's, um, it's like never ending. <laughs> uh, yeah. After the second episode, it was right before Boston. And I remember saying to my husband who was about to race, he had like all these things come up that ended up not, he didn't, you know, he wasn't set up for a good race because he had a sinus infection and then he had a hip problem and then the weather. And I was saying that to him. I said, go listen to my episode with Dina. I just did because she's got some really good stuff. I said, now think of three things, three reasons you're going to succeed. And he was like, Lindsay, I don't need that right now like he's I feel like this is sexist but as women I feel like we sometimes use that kind of stuff even more than men do yeah maybe so yeah that's interesting (laughs) I hadn't thought that but yeah I for sure I was like oh yeah I have four reasons here we go yes yes (laughs) definitely using those things yeah I think Glenn was I think something about and maybe it's not all men maybe it's just Glenn but I think he's kind of just like I'm confident. I feel good. I'm not nervous. I, I don't need to like come up with methods. I'm just going to like go run hard and like not be a big, ba- yeah. uh, you know, like not be a big baby. And yeah, I though, for one, those things help me so much. Yes, me too. 
All right, Teal. So, uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read now? Oh, well, now uh, you're going to say that. <laughs> Dina's book. <laughs> give, give me something scientific or something good. Um, I haven't read. So, let me think. Um, I read um, so little. This is not a scientific book, novels. So, um, I read Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. She wrote, um, she wrote another book, which I also read. Um, Everything We Never Told You. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those books are really good, I thought. Um, I've heard really good things about those books. It's kind of like on my list. Yeah, it was on my list. I was actually on hold on the library for it for a while and, and got it right before um, the marathon. Um, so I, I like those books. I've been reading a lot of like novels lately just because I like um, Dina's book aside. I just like need um, mm-hmm. like a break from, you know, my life, my running, my whatever, like, or, or science or whatever. Like I just need to, you know, lose myself in a book. It feels really good to do that just to get invested in the story and like the character. It's like, it's like a TV show, but you're reading it. Yeah, exactly. Story. Yes, for sure. All right, Teal. Well, I know you're probably like getting to the end of nap time and maybe maybe (laughs) you can get like a half an hour to just sit on the couch or something. So, uh, thanks for coming back on and sharing a little bit about your postpartum journey with everybody and congratulations. Oh yeah. Thanks. Uh, definitely. I'm I'm glad to, glad to be back and thank you so much. We'll have to get you back on either right before or right after the trials. Yeah, that'd be fun. Awesome. All right. We'll have a great rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. Thanks, Teal, for coming back on the show and spending nap time with us, sharing your story. We're so excited for you. I'm proud of you for all that you've accomplished and can't wait to see what these next marathons look like for you. You guys, don't forget to follow Teal on Instagram, Runner Teal, and find me over on Instagram, Lindsay Hines 626 Guys, join our Facebook group. That is the place to be. I will link to it in the show notes. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Get to know the people in this community. It's so much fun over there. I would love to have you join us. And I'm always popping in and out of the group. So you can ask me any kind of questions over there as well. Thank you, Casper Mattress, for supporting this podcast episode. You guys go to casper.com slash have another and use the promo code have another to get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. All right, you guys have a wonderful Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.